website for the first time because the last time we used this, we were in person. And every time I talk, little squiggles come up. Yeah, isn't it cool? God, I talk so much more like, than you do. Well, only right now, but also <laughs> your your audio is often louder than mine. But when we record as separate tracks, I can fix that. So <laughs> I mean, like, so that's a nice way of saying I'm louder than you. It's not that my audio is actually louder than yours. I'm just louder than you. Well, as a person, but you're an extrovert and you have a job with people and all of that fits really well. So that's yeah. fine. And if we ever talk about that, like having to explain extroverted and introverted to people is like so frustrating. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a natural extrovert. People like, oh, you're outgoing. I'm like, that's not, yes, but that's not what that means. I was like, I, I need no. people. COVID, COVID was a struggle, man. Like the beginning stages of COVID, I did not do well. See, COVID was actually like the quarantine was pretty great for me. I love not going to work. And look, this is the thing. I love you so much. But the day <laughs> after you left, I was in a coma. Like, I am I the biggest worried. introvert. I literally just laid there for a day. I was like, I so exhausted that Sunday after you left. I didn't do anything else for the rest of the day. You gotta get you gotta get used to seeing me because I'm moving up to Shreveport and we're gonna be hanging out and you're gonna be like, I need to up my medicine. Like I need to yeah. do something. I just gotta schedule more naps. I don't know. Or schedule like just... boundaries with me. Be like Katie, get Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, the rest of the week you need to go away. <laughs> go make new friends. I need a be... full twenty four hours to recover. Like, literally I cannot see you every day. You have to go. So I'll be like, what you doing? Want to go to lunch? And then dinner, and then maybe a movie afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> we can hang out, <laughs> and it'll be great. We can watch a movie. <laughs> yeah, Tell you what, it you would be great. Brett, you, Brett, and Danny can go do <laughs> introverted things and not talk to each other, and I'll be off making friends. You know, and that'll just be fine. It'll be a good time. So yeah, but oh, no, that defeats the purpose. I mean, y'all can I mean, see honestly, me, like, if you weren't an extrovert, we wouldn't be friends because I don't make friends on my own. Like people choose me oh, as yeah. a friend. Like, like that's you were how chosen. The introverts. Oh, yeah. introvert way <laughs> for anybody listening that actually did happen i sat down next to erica and i was like we're friends and she was like hi i'm erica <laughs> i was like i'm katie yes. we're friends yeah that that is actually an accurate <laughs> story yes <laughs> exactly how it happened like, so speaking of covid one of the things that like so i, I don't know what it's like in tree for but like new orleans is finally looking up and being like huh maybe we shouldn't open up Bourbon Street and like all the bars at the same time. Like we're seeing a super spike in cases. So like, even though it's a holiday week, I feel like most people I know are staying home, you know, yeah. I don't like, you know, following state guidelines because Louisiana is back in phase two. And then also um, yeah. people with elderly relatives and stuff. I know they don't want to put them at risk. So like Brett and I, we're meeting some friends for a Friendsgiving, but we're not doing a family Thanksgiving this year. What, what, what are y'all yeah. doing? Well, unfortunately, I'm staying here in Shreveport as well. And literally, this is the first Thanksgiving in my 32 years of life that I have missed. And normally, Thanksgiving's a really big time for my family. We Everyone on my dad's side of the family all gathers at my grandparents' house. And there's between 25 to 30 of us all in the same house. And it's usually really amazing. Um, but this year, like, I didn't... One, feel that I should be around my grandparents, you know, not me personally, but like people shouldn't be around my grandparents. But also because of my particular situation at work, I'm trying to graduate soon. Um, <laughs> and if I get sick, I will essentially lose a full month of work 
because I'll have to quarantine oh, for two weeks. And yeah. because of that, all of my cells that I culture will die. And then it will take me over a week to get my cells back up and running. So I'll basically lose a full month. And I'm not wanting to have that many more months worth of experiments left to do. So uh, rather than risk it, I'm missing Thanksgiving this year. And that's a big bummer. God, that sucks so hard. And I know holidays mean something to you. Like for anybody listening, I'm heartless. Brett and I skip holidays all the time. We just wake up and we're like, it's it's a Chinese food kind of day. But uh, but no, I mean, I know that's really hard for you. And I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm hoping that like, it, I mean, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, I think Christmas is going to be different, but maybe by 2021, the 2020 curse will be broken. We can go back to a semblance of normalcy. So yeah, hopefully. I mean, it should be better before too long. Um, I'll be able to do something like uh, Danny and I are going to go over and see my mom. She's also not going to mm. Thanksgiving because she, she's got a, a surgery scheduled in December. And if she gets COVID, then her surgery gets delayed. And if her surgery gets delayed, then it's no longer covered by her having already met her deductible. So <laughs> good old American insurance guys. Oh yeah. Yep. But yeah, I, I mean, it makes better sense for her to also stay in. If any of my family happens to listen to this, I love you and I miss you. Also, Erica's family, I love you and miss you. Also, Miss Kim and Mr. Norris, we miss y'all too. Sorry, you're only cooking for two this year. Although I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. Like, look, Brett and I, Brett and I do the the Chinese food thing, and honestly, I used to skip holidays a lot more. But but Brett's parents can cook, and it's it's not like they can kind of cook. Like, I mean, like I show up to this house, and it's like I can't move. Afterwards, I'm talking full <laughs> spread turkey, ham, all the casseroles, rolls. Miss Kim figured out my first year dating her son that I liked pumpkin pie. So the woman makes like three. Mm. I don't I don't know why she makes me three pumpkin because I'm the one that eats them, right? Mr. Norris might have like one slice. Those three pumpkin pies are me. I put on 12 <laughs> pounds at that woman's house. I'm feeling like it's, it's a little it, though, personal right? at this point. It's a little personal. <laughs> so, I mean, like I'm going to miss family, but Eric, I'm going to miss the food. I know. Right? We should definitely talk about the food then. I would and like maybe to talk the about the behind food. food. Since theoretically this is a science podcast and not a oh, podcast yeah. about Erica and Katie's life. I don't know. I By feel like way, people listen to us just talking about food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, my name is Erica and I am a scientist. My name is Katie and I am not a scientist. <laughs> and, and this, this is, is Southern, Southern Science. science. Hey, that was good. We got that one. That one sounded good. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was better. So how's that for a seven minute <laughs> intro on what we're talking about? Yeah. All right. So the science of Thanksgiving food. I'm not going to lie. I was not excited about your Halloween stuff. I'm really excited for this week. <laughs> That's good. We're, we're going to be talking about, we'll mostly talk about turkey. It seems to be the centerpiece of the Thanksgiving feast, but we'll uh, talk a little bit about some of the sides. Uh, sides vary by family. So, uh, Oh, that what, stupid poll, hold on, that's going around right now on social media and saying green bean casserole is gross. All of y'all are dead to me. Green bean casserole is the best side. But I'm sorry. Continue, Erica. We were having serious no, whoever, whoever, <laughs> My Aunt Lydia makes the green bean casserole at Thanksgiving, and like I'll fight someone over it. It's pretty darn good. Dang. Uh, there are many ways to prepare a turkey, obviously. Um, I tend to go for the cooking it in the oven in a bag, so I don't really get the beautiful brown skin or whatever, but it, it stays moist. Brett's parents you know, fry the hell out of it. Ever. So I have a note about deep frying your turkey later, and Ooh. as a little physics aside, 
Not much of this podcast is about the science of physics, but I will have a little bit <laughs> on there. Here for it. As I was thinking about like the science of Thanksgiving food, there's one big, I'm going to spoil it by saying it's a myth, but there's one big statement that you hear about turkey. It makes you sleepy. <laughs> and that, that it makes you sleepy, exactly. That is true. That is true. I need a nap after turkey. <laughs> You need a nap after you eat turkey plus deviled eggs plus sweet potatoes plus green bean casserole plus mashed potatoes plus rolls plus etc. You know, so the th- <laughs> keys give me a very skeptical look, but very skeptical. So, the theory is that turkey makes you sleepy because it contains the amino acid tryptophan. Mm-hmm. And tryptophan is one of the 20 core amino acids that make up all of the proteins in your body. And the reason that tryp- tryptophan is kind of implicated in the sleepiness process is that um, enzymatically tryptophan is converted to 5-hydroxytryptophan and then is converted to serotonin, which we'll come back to in a second. I know serotonin. Then, that's the only thing I've recognized so far. So far. Okay. And then it's converted to in acetyl serotonin and then into melatonin and melatonin you've probably heard of because it's something that people take to theoretically make themselves drowsy. Yes. It's a natural like sleep remedy. It is in a way. So it's not like a sedative. It's not, it's not like you take melatonin and it knocks you out. But what it does is so melatonin is a hormone that your brain naturally produces from your pineal gland and to be fair, um, as a southerner, I say sorry. My microphone just decided it was pretty to funny. Take a nap and fall it over. It was funny. <laughs> this little bit here came out of my microphone stand, and I think it might be essential. So, I mean, you probably need it. Whatever, it's fine. It's fine. It's a little wobbly at the moment. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna hold it. Y'all, this microphone's gonna fall, on Erica. If I have to take over the podcast, congratulations! Thanksgiving food's delicious. The end. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, okay. Okay. Um. <laughs> oh my god! It hit her in the face, y'all! It hit her in the face. It happened. Oh my god! All right, y'all. In the podcast. <laughs> Thanksgiving food's great. Turkeys are good. Okay. <laughs> Try again. My microphone is, is just, attacking. No, I'm watching it. Like it's just leaning on you. That was great. That okay. was my favorite thing that's happened tonight. All right. Continue. So okay, but wait, I heard what you said about melatonin, but like I've taken melatonin before and I felt like I fell asleep pretty quickly. Now, granted, I don't normally have sleep problems, so it's like very rare. Yeah, absolutely. And it it does help. And I can vouch for that as someone who has and frequently still does take melatonin before bed. But um, so what melatonin does is it's not, like I said, it's not a sedative. It's not going to knock you out. But what it is, is it's a hormone that's naturally produced by the pineal gland. And I think what I was in the middle of saying is the fact that some people say pineal gland and some people who are from the South say pineal gland. That sounds like (laughs) pineal gland. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Microphone punched me in the face. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a it's a circadian rhythm hormone, and it helps your body be what we call diurnal and be awake during the day when the sun's out, be asleep at night when the sun's not out, and it's uh, produced during darkness. And so once the sun goes down, 
you know, theoretically in a world without artificial lights, your body would start to produce the melatonin and signal to the rest of your brain that, hey, it's time to start shutting things down. It's time to lower your body temperature, do all the like things that precede going to sleep. Um, Okay, makes sense. Okay. The quote from a, quote, sleep expert at John Hopkins named Luis Winover says that melatonin, quote, puts you into a state of quiet wakefulness that helps promote sleep. So it doesn't like knock you out, but it kind of gets your brain in the program of like, hey, we're starting to shut down. We're going to go to sleep. Okay. So generally technically melatonin supplements are the best for when you're trying to reset your sleep schedule. So like if you traveled and you're on, you're in a different time zone or you're like shifting for uh, like shift work, um, you're trying to adjust your schedule for working nights versus days. Finals um, week. Oh, finals week because you stay up till 3am setting. <laughs> right now that's when I'm taking it. Sorry. That's what we missed last week, guys. I'm in the middle of finals, but yeah. So finals week, yes, that's when I take yeah. melatonin. Yeah, I actually had to start taking melatonin after I switched antidepressants because Mm -hmm. my new antidepressant was causing insomnia. And one thing you can take melatonin for is insomnia. It's recommended only to do it temporarily, like maybe try it for two weeks and then see if you can fall asleep on your own kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And and it got to the point where I could fall asleep without melatonin. And now if I fall, if I take melatonin, it gives me really bonkers dreams, which is what I did when I took it a few years ago. (laughs) And I stopped taking it because... The last thing I need is more vivid dreams. Right. <laughs> so uh, and it actually says to not take if you have depression. So like, oops. Oops. But- <laughs> right, right, right. That should be in bigger letters on the bottle. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. This is not true of all. This is you. This is not user error. This is product producer error. Bigger letters. I was counteracting a side effect of the antidepressant medication. So, I mean, it's a vicious cycle is all I'm saying. Back and forth, back and forth. So, okay. But like, okay. So nothing you've told me so far though is supporting your argument that turkey doesn't put you to sleep. If turkeys, if the trypto whatever that turns into serotonin then turns into melatonin, like melatonin encourages sleep. Yes, exactly. So how does that not mean that turkey makes you sleepy? The issue is, is that turkey's not actually special when it comes to melatonin. So turkey actually has similar levels of tryptophan to other meats. And also it has less tryptophan than like cheese, like cheddar cheese and maybe milk. So, And as far as amino acids goes, tryptophan is actually one of the ones in the lowest concentration. So it's not like, yeah, sure, it has tryptophan. Most things that are made up of proteins often have tryptophan and it's not really that big of a deal. The question is, why does turkey get like all the flack for, you know, being a huge carrier of tryptophan? It's kind of like Chinese food getting the blame for having MSG. I'm like, okay, lots of things have glutamate. It's not that big a deal. Um, (laughs) That's going to be our next podcast because I know nothing about MSG. So continue. (laughs) So I found some comments from Richard Wortman. He is a neuropharmacologist at MIT and he has done research to prove to the world that eating tryptophan alongside of other amino acids, like you would find in any protein rich meat does not raise serotonin production in the brain. And you would need a rise in serotonin production to effectively have a rise in melatonin production because it's upstream on the pathway. Technically, if you just ate straight tryptophan, yeah, it would raise your serotonin levels, but it's impossible basically in a natural food setting to eat straight tryptophan. Um, So, I mean, and I'd heard stuff like that before, so I assumed that the turkey makes you sleepy was just a complete myth. But actually, it has a little bit more validity than I thought. 
Uh, and I'd always heard like the, you know, it's just the fact that you're eating lots of food and potentially drinking alcohol and you just ha- take a food coma for a while. Potentially. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. You were giving thanks. Well, what do you toast my, with if you don't no, toast with booze? There's no, there's no drinking at my Thanksgiving. That's because I've never been to your Thanksgiving. And most we have wassail. That's because I've never been to your Thanksgiving. So like I said, the truth is actually somewhere in the middle. So what's actually important is the fact that you're eating the turkey alongside a butt ton of carbs. The fact that you're having this meat, and it doesn't necessarily have to be turkey, but it could be any other tryptophan containing Ham? Meat. Yeah, chicken, anything. The fact that you're eating it alongside a large amount of carbs is what really lets the tryptophan have the potential to make you sleep. So carbs, eating carbs, which by the way, carbohydrates would be sugar-based molecules. Um, And we've, I don't know if it was in a published episode or in our episode zero that we kind of talked about how your cells use sugar as energy. That was our first, I think that was an unpublished one. That was episode zero, but like, you know, and yeah, I mean, I feel like in this day and age when everyone thinks carbs are bad, everybody knows what they are. Your rice, your potatoes, your bread, everything that tastes good. Yes. If it tastes good, it has carbs. Everything that tastes good. Alcohol. Exactly. Okay. Everything that has carbs. The point of carbohydrates and any glucose-based molecule entering your bloodstream, in order for your cells to use that glucose as energy, it has to be taken up into your cells. And what does that? That process involves insulin, which, you know, it can be a whole other conversation about how diabetes works in another episode. But um, <laughs> The role of insulin as a hormone is to trigger the uptake of glucose from your bloodstream into your cells. And along with the sugar, it often will uptake amino acids because the sugar is kind of the cue, hey, we just ate something. And then the insulin is like, okay, that means there's fuel in the bloodstream. Let's get it. And so it just takes up whatever it can. Fair and enough. So it's like Marty Gras. You eat all this. Sh- you're out there. You're grabbing what you can. Absolutely. What you can. There you go. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's exactly what insulin tells your cells to do. It upregulates like the amount of glucose receptors that are at the surface of your cells. So you can take like, sorry, glucose transporters. So you can transport all of the glucose into your cells. You can take up as much as possible. So if you upregulate your insulin because of the sugar from the carbs that you ate, you will also take up amino acids, but you don't take up tryptophan because tryptophan, like the, I guess, amino acid transporters that are upregulated by the insulin do not include tryptophan transporters. Uh, I don't know exactly the regulation of why that specificity happens, but the issue, the, the, the result is that the tryptophan stays in your bloodstream while other amino acids are taken up. And normally the reason that tryptophan, like eating tryptophan along with the other amino acids is not going to end up making you sleepy is because there's a lot of competition for what amino acids can cross the blood brain barrier. And so tryptophan kind of has to, yeah, go ahead. Blood brain barrier. So the way that your brain gets nutrients like your blood doesn't flow directly into your brain. Your brain is surrounded by cerebrospinal fluid. And I assume it's a, like a, um, a protection against infection. Because I guess that that's way true. Like the last thing you want to be infected is like your, your brain. You don't yeah. want your brain I mean, to we get did a whole We hold, did a whole month of zombie podcasts to yeah. tell you why that's yeah, it, That goes badly. All right. Continue. Basically, the short version is that Oh, do you remember when we were talking in one of the zombie episodes, we were talking about glial cells and glial cells are the cells in your brain that aren't neurons. 
Yeah. And- oh my God. I do remember that. Cause then we had to do this whole thing about how I didn't know there were different kinds of cells. Yes. So one of the things that glial cells do, and I think I said this at the time, is they wrap themselves around your neurons as kind of an insulating sheath so that signals can travel travel faster along them and so that you don't get any wires crossed. It's kind of like the point of insulating wires in, you know, in your house, why you don't, you want to keep your wires fully insulated. So there's no crosstalk. Yes. Um, I do remember that. And I remember thinking, man, the brain is super complicated. And then I was like... I dropped it after that because I was like, it's just not something I meant to understand. I was like, that's Erica's job. So another thing that those glial cells do is they also form a barrier around blood vessels so that there is an extra layer that uh, things that would normally diffuse out of the blood have an extra layer to go through just as a checkpoint before they can get into the brain, just as a safety mechanism. Which is a good idea. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like, 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 I mean, like we've established, the last thing you want to get infected is your brain. For zombieism are because, you know, to this, to my knowledge, I mean, my husband's a doctor. I feel like he would have brought this up. I don't think we can do brain transfusions yet. Not so much. I mean, in movies, Actually, I don't, I honestly don't know if there's such a thing as cerebrospinal fluid transfusions. There probably is, but I no, don't know. Not one that's worked yet. I feel like that would have come up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't I know. I would have mentioned that. <laughs> But anyway, so those astrocytes or glial cells, they're wrapping, they're, they wrap their feet, as it were, around the, the blood vessels and they create an extra barrier, barrier and that's called the blood-brain barrier. And it's very important, uh, especially when you're considering drugs that, you, that are psychoactive or like neuropharmacological drugs. Um, any psychoactive drugs are going to need to be able to cross the blood-brain barrier or their precursors need to be able to cross the blood-brain barrier and then be metabolized further in the brain. So like for Parkinson's disease, one drug that they give, they don't give you dopamine directly. They give you L-DOPA, which is a precursor for dopamine and then gets converged to dopamine in your brain and then combats the dopamine deficiency that is a part of Parkinson's disease. So just as an example. That's fascinating. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So blood brain barrier. Okay. So we're, we're at, we're like, you know, the certain amount of stuff that gets taken up to the brain after you eat a bunch of Thanksgiving food. Okay. And we're up to blood brain barrier. Okay. That is fascinating. I would like to do a podcast on that at some time. That's really interesting to me. Absolutely. The lab that I might be joining after I graduate is a very brain focused lab. And most, a lot of the uh, neuropharmacological facts that I know were from, were taught to me by that, that teacher. So Erica's going to break us out of zombies. <laughs> I've been saying that since we were like 16 years old. I know. You said that for a long mm, time. There's no very, zombies yet, okay? Yes, like it's straight res. It's like Umbrella Corporation up in here. She's going to come home <laughs> one day with like the little emblem on her shirt. I'm going to be like, yep. Go on. <laughs> All right. So, so sure. anyway, normally when you eat a lot of, you know, protein, it's made up of lots of different amino acids. And as a whole, they're all trying to cross the blood-brain barrier. Uh, but if your insulin has triggered the uptake of a select few of those amino acids into the cells, then in your blood, tryptophan is suddenly represented at a higher concentration. And so it's more likely that the tryptophan will be taken up into your brain instead of these other amino acids because they got taken up into other cells from your blood vessels. Okay. So after the other cells take up the other amino acids because of the insulin-induced uptake, um, it actually measurably does raise your plasma tryptophan concentration. So people do know that part. That part's true. Okay. And that technically does lead to more serotonin production and release in the brain. So Uh, serotonin, I'm assuming that just means why most people are happy at Thanksgiving? 
Family drama notwithstanding. I mean, look, uh, if you're going to have drama over turkey, you don't need that kind of negativity in your life. Uncle Bob doesn't get to come back. Thanksgiving's a food holiday. <laughs> Are you in normal holidays like 4th of July where there's like alcohol and fireworks? Okay. More specifically, it explains the concept of comfort food. So actually, when you're depressed and you don't have a lot of serotonin, it can make you crave carbs. And while that's anecdotally obvious, because I mean, when you're depressed, all you want is, oh, if you're me, you want dry cereal because that's my depression meal. Lobster mac and cheese, man. I'm bougie. Lobster mac and cheese with truffle oil and I will make it homemade. But I did, it never occurred to me that was like low serotonin. I thought that was just me being a fatty. That is interesting. All right. I mean, that's kind of the connection that explains why you crave carbs slash sweets slash comfort food whenever you're depressed because you're low on serotonin and something in your brain says, hey, if I eat this, I'm going to get a kick of serotonin. And that's okay. there's evidence for that in this uh, 1995 paper by Wortman and Wortman. One of those Wortmans is the one that I cited earlier from MIT. But anyway. So, yes. okay. So let me make sure I'm following this. So you, you eat a bunch of carbs. It spikes your insulin. Your insulin's like, hey, we need to start obsessively grabbing stuff. It grabs a lot of things. And then what's left over gets into your brain. And your brain's like, this is great. Let's make some serotonin. Right. Did I, did I get that right? But, oh. Yes, absolutely. Oh, but yeah. there's a but. Good job. Yay. But there's, there's a but. It's about there's about to be a crash. What's happening? So the the thing is that serotonin doesn't necessarily equal melatonin production. Okay. There's two step there's two steps in there. And there's a lot of things that inhibit melatonin production, such as blue light. I am gonna have this as an aside just because I looked it up and I was just happy to learn more about it. But blue light actually doesn't inhibit melatonin production. It inhibits melatonin secretion from your pineal gland. So technically like any room light, specifically blue spectrum light um, at nighttime suppresses your melatonin production about like 85%. So like a lot. What? This is why you shouldn't look at your phone before you go to bed. Now, without a blue light filter, you shouldn't. Exactly. What? Yeah. Because oh, my it, God. It There's science behind that. I thought people just wanted me to be unhappy. <laughs> no, it, it chemically keeps you from going to sleep because, <laughs> like, so there's a part of your brain that's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Suprachiasmatic nucleus. I mean, abbreviated SCN, if that helps you. But the problem is the blue light specifically, your eyes, your brain, all that kind of stuff is more attuned to blue light as a, it's a higher energy slash sort of wavelength light. And so our bodies are really sensitive to that particular wavelength, just as a high energy wavelength. And one, it um, triggers the suprachiasmatic nucleus to inhibit release of melatonin from the pineal gland. So it's kind of a cascade effect, but the part of your body that is kind of regulating circadian rhythm, the SCN, says, no, apparently it's still daytime. We should not be releasing melatonin yet. But also it affects what brain waves your uh, brain is producing. So apparently blue light suppresses delta brain waves, which are kind of sleep inducing, and it encourages alpha brain waves, which are alertness inducing. So it's like great if you have blue light exposure during the daytime, like the more bright light you can expose yourself to, to during the day, like really encourages and emphasizes your circadian rhythm. And it'll help you sleep later in the day because your body was like, Hey, we had this really great, like daytime, you know, that was the day. Obviously this is going to be the night. 
you know, so it, it really. I'm straight. Guys. It really I know what day and night is right now. <laughs> I mean, it sounds dumb, but like it's it really helps your brain figure out that like this is obviously not right. the daytime. Right. You should probably be sleeping now. Anyone who's ever had a night where they couldn't go to sleep does not think this sounds dumb. We're like, wait, <laughs> excuse me. Especially people like me who don't struggle with insomnia. I, I don't have to struggle with that. So on the off day, I can't sleep. Oh, <laughs> I am so betrayed my body. I'm like, I took care of you today. I ate vegetables. Like, I need you to get your life together right now. <laughs> Shoot. You got to go out and stare at the sun. Mm-hmm. And like, look, this is what daytime looks like. At three in the morning, this is not what daytime looks daytime. like. No, it's not. See, look, I did the sleep thing. I did the exercise. I did the green food. I need you to go to bed. Exactly. Yeah. And then that actually is like, I joke, but yes, it is proven that if you can expose yourself to blue light during the daytime, it will help trigger your body like later when it'll realize like, no, this is not daytime. We should go to sleep now. You know what? I'm going to tell that to people who make fun of me playing Pokemon Go in the year 2020. I'm like, I'm just trying to encourage (laughs) my blue light consumption so I can sleep. Dude, I sent you a gift in Pokemon Go today. Like, Oh, I'm going (laughs) to open it. We're almost best friends. Yep. Um, Yeah. Hashtag hashtag cool 2020 Erica and Katie Pokemon. Yeah. I catch them all. All right. Sorry. So, yeah. So that's actually super interesting about the turkey. So, okay. So what you're saying is that when I'm eating turkey, and I never thought about it because it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's Thanksgiving. Of course, I'm in a good mood. Of course, I'm enjoying myself and I'm happy. Like I'm around family I don't hate. And then like there's also food cooked not by me because I don't host. So I was like, I'm, like, I'm always <laughs> in a good mood. You know, so it never occurred to, or like or I'm at your house and you're making me turkey. So, yeah, I guess in my head I do associate turkey with comfort food. But I always thought it was situational. Interesting to hear that it's only partially that, that part of it really is like my body's buying into the whole Thanksgiving's great. This is great. Carbs and dirty. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. You know, I have like three types of so potatoes it, in my dish when it's like you got to have the mashed potatoes for gravy, the scallop potatoes with bacon, then you got the sweet potatoes. Hell yeah. Like, you know, you, you carb up at Thanksgiving. Those are the best sides, no, man. man. You missed one. You get sweet potatoes with pecans, and then you get sweet potatoes with marshmallows. You have two no, separate like, piles no, of sweet potatoes. No, no, no. We will fight over that. Sweet potatoes with marshmallows is a dessert. That does not go on the Thanksgiving plate. Sweet potatoes with pecans goes on the Thanksgiving plate. Okay, okay. Sweet potatoes with marshmallows is in round two, the dessert. Got it. It's alongside the pumpkin pie and all the other pies. Round, round four? Two. What do you I do, do you were, I was at your house. I got at least three helpings and then went back for dessert. <laughs> like this is the day I don't count calories on Thanksgiving. No, holiday calories don't count. No, this do is a PSA from a yeah. science podcast that says holiday <laughs> calories don't count. She has a doctorate in science. Like she says they don't I, count. They I don't have count. an almost doctorate in scientist. In, I have an almost doctorate in science. Don't lie to the people. I mean, okay. <laughs> she's got more of a doctorate in science than most of us do. So like, I trust that. I'm theoretically I'm four months away from a doctorate in science. I like that. I'm theoretically Fingers four crossed. months away from a not doctorate. So you know, definitely not a not doctor, definitely not a doctor in science, but this is super interesting. Okay. So what you're telling me is honestly, what's probably clicking in my brain isn't that I'm sleepy, but that I'm comfortable. Yes. So the Turkey can get you as far as cel- as serotonin, as happiness, as relaxation, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause yeah, serotonin on the football game. Yeah. <laughs> 
or the Macy's Day Parade if you had oh. a really early Thanksgiving dinner. You have two Thanksgivings. You got the, the you lunch, lunch Thanksgiving and you got the dinner Thanksgiving. <laughs> you got both. But yes, point taken. All right, continue. So yes, you, you get relaxed. Right. But as we've discussed before, there are a lot of things that can affect melatonin production. So you can't necessarily, or sorry, melatonin release. Mm-hmm. So you can't necessarily get from the point of, yes, tryptophan can, in these circumstances, increase your serotonin levels, which as a person with depression, yay. Okay. But, <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily lead to melatonin production or melatonin release to the extent that it will make you sleepy during the day. The leading theory on that appears, as stated by Wortman and also a guy named Heller from Stanford, the leading theory on that is that it's actually just that digestion takes a lot of energy, like physically digesting your food and the amount of blood flow you have to supply to your intestines actually does require a lot of energy to uptake that many nutrients from your small intestine. And I think actually they did an experiment that said like the physical distension of your stomach and small intestines will trigger sleepiness because it like so physically takes energy. <laughs> With my four plates of Thanksgiving dinner, my stomach's like, please stop. Girl, so you ain't alone. That's why they invented stretchy pants. I'm, oh I'm not God, sorry. I feel so attacked. <laughs> so basically, you're just telling me I've abused my body to the point that it passes out after I eat. It's not necessarily like an abuse of, of overexertion. So if you want to consider how much, so this, will, this might make you feel better. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> digestion naturally, just in your body everyday life does take a lot of energy to the extent that whenever you're in an emergency situation and your fight or flight response is triggered, the first thing that gets shut down is your digestion. So like you have two kind of modes in your nervous system. You have the sympathetic autonomic nervous system, which is the fight or flight emergency. There's something happening right now that we have to deal with kind of exact second. Yes, exactly. And then there is the parasympathetic autonomic nervous system, which is also called the, quote, rest and digest, which is for chilling and for eating food and things that you can do when you have time and you're not stressed whatsoever. So I am so good at that phase. (laughs) I'm really good at the parasympathetic nervous system. The joy of anxiety is you kind of live in the fight or flight. (laughs) Girl, I am medicated. They can yeah. control mine. I don't, I don't have the depression side effects. So, like, you know, nope. I'm pretty straight. All they have to worry about is my anxiety. Mm, hashtag same on the anxiety, though. But I got some I got some meds for that now. I'm good. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm straight. straight. And you're good. Yeah. Take your meds, guys. <laughs> it makes such a difference. Such a difference. Oh, my God. And then you can actually enjoy your turkey on Turkey Day. Exactly. Although actually that's a really good point. I don't know if if your antidepressant is an SSRI, which stands for a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Um, its job is to keep more serotonin in your synapses by inhibiting its reuptake into the presynaptic neuron. So if you're producing more serotonin because you just ate some delicious comfort food, I like your antidepressants may make that comfort food even more effective, which sounds awesome. I guarantee there's a study on that somewhere and we're going to post that to Facebook because I actually want to read that. 
be like, you know, oh, I, you know, it's like I'm enjoying my comfort food even more than normal. This one actually high welcomes. carbohydrate diet in a depression model. I'm sure it happened. It's happened in mount in mice if you say it that way, but yes. So next year, um, when we're both in the same city, we're both going to take our medicine and then try on Thanksgiving and see how we feel. We'll just have a friendsgiving I mean, for science. Yeah. Friendsgiving for science. Yes, <laughs> a friend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Friendsgiving for science. I'm very pro that. Okay, so that's super interesting. Okay, so so it's not just that you know your four plates of, of Thanksgiving food are calling you out. It's just that by default, digesting food takes a lot of energy. Like I said, to the extent that if you, this was an emergency situation, it would be one of the first things your body shut down because it is a large energy sink and you want to get rid of it. Okay. So it's not a personal. I attack. do feel better. Thank you. I do feel better for that. I was like, man, I am just abusing my poor little body that I try to take such good care of. I mean, there's also things like a lot of people travel for the holidays and that disrupts your schedule if you like go into a different time zone. Honestly, traveling period always makes me sleepy. Just the act of driving. And whenever I get to my destination, I'm like, hey, is it cool if I take a nap? Like, <laughs> and then also there's a lot of stress. Like this is a new thing. You're dealing with people you don't normally deal with. And then usually like the big event is the Thanksgiving dinner. And so once that's done with, you're like, cool. I can relax now. Time to sleep. Time to sleep. So the theory is that it's more about the physical exertion of digestion, which I know doesn't feel like an exertion, but your body's using a lot of energy for it. And then also the psychological aspects of like you just completed the one big task you needed and travel and holiday schedule and all that kind of stuff. So the exhaustion that comes with like, you know, dealing with your entire family system. Yeah, during an election year. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that is one benefit. Oh, let's focus on the positives for a second. Neither one of us are going home for Thanksgiving. COVID Neither one, one of us has to deal with the election it. information. Nope. My family yeah. is spread across the spectrum on belief systems, and I'm not upset that I'm nope. doing Chinese food this year. You are no longer required to nope. spend time with them. Nope. And since I'm the counselor in the family, guess who ends up talking to everybody? Yeah, I'm doing uh, beef and broccoli this year over rice. Might even chop up some like turkey, like some sliced turkey and throw it in there just in the spirit of Thanksgiving. So no, none of that family stuff for me. I think my mom and Danny and I are going to do lasagna. Also not traditional. Not traditional. You could do turkey sausage. That's actually true. Right? I don't, my mom's going to make mom's gonna make lasagna and like a salad or whatever, and I'm going to make dessert. So nothing fancy. There you go. I told Easy. her Danny doesn't like Thanksgiving food. So. God, because he's wrong. Did you tell him he's limiting <laughs> his, his serotonin production? I haven't yet, but uh, I will tell him that he's missing out on free serotonin production. Yeah, I mean, you need to tell him, like, really emphasize that, because I think that's really important. All right, so in the sides you were talking <laughs> about were the carbs, right? Were there any other signs that do weird things to us? So chemically, I was going to talk about not necessarily the effects that sides have on us, because I think for the most part, those are carbs. Um, <laughs> although... I will say some side dishes do contain the what we call natural product of anthocyanins. And um, anthocyanins come up uh, as a, quote, natural product whenever you're looking at um, anti-cancer drugs, because there are a lot of studies that talk about using anthocyanins as an anti-cancer therapeutic. But um, we're going to talk about that later when we talk about wine. When we talk about wine for your birthday, Anthocyanins are going to come up then, but it's what makes cranberries and a lot of red fruits and berries red. And it's something we're going to talk about at the time. Okay. Now I'm super curious, but I guess I can wait. That's fine. Okay. So in other words, what I'm hearing you'd say is for me to eat massive amounts of cranberry sauce, which 
I'm not going to fight you on it. Like, I mean, like cranberry sauce and red wine and like maybe some strawberries and stuff couldn't hurt, right? I mean, that honestly sounds like the the like diet of champions. If they, yeah. I, I'm going to start using that as an excuse to have wine at like 7 a.m. Like once I leave New Orleans, I'll be like, excuse me, I'm fighting cancer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Definitely having a podcast. There are it. occasional studies that are like a glass of wine a day lowers your cancer risk. And we're like, a glass? But... <laughs> I mean, Still. if that's the case, then I will never get cancer. <laughs> I will be cancer-free my entire life. I'm not saying that, like, liver disease won't get me, but, like, cancer is not going to get me, man. If that, I mean, if that's real science and that's fact, I am straight. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. So, it is. super yeah. interesting with the Thanksgiving stuff. Like, things, I, things you never think about, you know? I just assumed the turkey made you tired, and I didn't care. I was going to eat it anyway. <laughs> right. It has the potential to make you tired. More likely, it has the potential to make you happy and relaxed. And then life makes you tired. Yep. Is the moral of the story. Preach. Yes, I love it. So I did have a few more things I wanted to say about turkey. The main thing that a lot of people maybe don't know, but it's pretty basic, is the difference between dark and white meat. Do you know why dark meat is dark and white meat is light? So I'm going to tell you what I've heard. Okay, and correct me okay. if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. So what I've heard is that for dark meat, it goes to the parts of the body that you have to use more. And I was thinking about the way little tur- little like turkeys are set up, like their thighs and legs. It makes sense to me that they would have more blood flow because they need to run away. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, turkeys breasts don't do much. They just breathe. But that could be wrong. I definitely heard that from my uncle who hunts. That's it. Actually, that's really close. That's really close. That's good. Yes, I know science. (laughs) So in case any people who don't know, I don't know, dark meat is generally in turkeys and also chickens. Dark meat is generally from the legs, uh, is considered to be more flavorful and juicy because it has a larger fat content, actually does have more vitamins and minerals than white meat does. It also Um, tastes better. If you like white meat, you're a bad person. You know, I saw some websites that were like, people who like white meat say this about dark meat. And people who like dark meat say this about white meat. <laughs> I am on that website. I guarantee I've been quoted directly. <laughs> I, will, I will fight people for, a, for a, like a well, thigh. I, because I actually, I prefer white meat. The only thing I like dark meat in is gumbo. All right, I'm quitting it's this just, podcast. I give up. No. Find somebody else. No. I'm over it. What is wrong with you? Dark meat is so much more flavorful. But it's also got a higher fat content and it feels like the meat feels greasy. Like I don't like it. I want want to feel the calories piling on. I want to be aware of them while I'm eating them. I need the meat. I need dark meat in a context that I don't notice the greasiness, a.k.a. gumbo. Like chicken thighs are good for gumbo and I don't use chicken thighs for anything else. That's all I use. Like no, I, 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 I like chicken tenders because chicken thighs actually don't fry well. But like that's about yeah. it. Besides that, if we're eating chicken, it's it's from the butt. Chicken butt. <laughs> no, I'm a bre- breast meat person. Um, but anyway, white meat, which I prefer. Katie thinks is dry. Bleh. Dry <laughs> is uh, from the for chickens and turkeys is from the breast and the wings. Uh, it's more lean. It's generally mild flavored um, and definitely can get dry faster if you like overcook it. Um, but it does have more protein than the dark meat because the dark meat, like I said, has a higher fat content. And so proportionally white meats uh, more protein rich, but here's the, here's the 
chemical difference and the usage physiological difference um, is that dark meat is slow twitch muscles or oxidative muscles. And so they are designed for aerobic exercise. So like long sustained activity, like you said, with a chicken or a turkey walking around Mm -hmm. because they don't fly a ton. They're mostly just walking around. Yes. For birds, they're not particularly big on flying. (laughs) So they also look ridiculous when they try. Yeah. It's like for short bursts in an emergency. It's not what they're built for. Yeah. It's when their digestion system shuts down because it's a fight or flight response. Hey. Hey, This is my science knowledge. All right. Did you know that Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to be the national bird of America? Benjamin Franklin for president. I mean, tons of horrible things about the man, but that was a good one. I think He's the turkey should have been smart. Oh, he super some smart. Cool stuff. Oh, yeah. Dude was super smart. Obviously, his stance on turkeys is correct because turkeys are the best bird. They are so tasty. My only other fact about, I only have two other facts about turkeys. Theoretically, they're so dumb that they will die by looking up during a rainstorm and drown to death. I have no idea if that's an old wives' tale. It probably is. But <laughs> that's depressing. I know sheep will drown, they'll just stand there and scream until they die. I bet domesticated turkeys are that dumb. Because wild turkeys are mean, they will chase you. They will come after you to kill you. They're not playing. <laughs> and then my only other ter- uh, fact about turkeys is that they're apparently very complicated from an artistic sense. And my grandfather said that the only other time he's going to carve a turkey is if it's standing behind a tree. Oh, because he doesn't want to carve. <laughs> doesn't want to carve all those feathers. Oh, snaps. <laughs> <laughs> I love your granddad. Her granddad, by the way, is the one who does our uh, music for the intro and outro. Yes. He's a great musician and also very good wood carver. Definitely. We should have him on the show sometime. Talk about some wood stuff. Heck yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. So anyway, back to dark meat. Like I said, they are good for aerobic exercise, which is not generally an emergency kind of exercise. You're not doing a lot at once. So they're full of mitochondria. And mitochondria, a.k.a. the powerhouse of the cell. That's all I remember. It's the most efficient way that your cells can make energy, but it requires a lot of oxygen. So that's kind of the trade-off for like mammalian or eukaryotic cells that have mitochondria in them is that you can do an inefficient form of generating energy, which doesn't require oxygen and just uses a lot of sugar. Or you can do this more complicated extra steps and generate more energy, but at the cost of using oxygen. And the mitochondria are the organelle in your cells that use the oxygen. And because these muscle fibers are designed to do a form of energy that does not use up all of their oxygen. It's a long, slow, you know, they use their mitochondria. These tissues are rich in a protein that can bring oxygen to the cells. And in muscles, that molecule is myoglobin. Now in your blood, it's hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is designed for the long distance transport. In your muscles, you can use myoglobin. They're very similar in that they both use iron to kind of bind the oxygen molecule, but structurally, they're just their quartenary structures are different. As I've heard of hemoglobin, obviously, right? Yeah, your blood's full of hemoglobin. It's what you need to be able to transport oxygen. Right. Okay. But within your muscle tissue itself, you have myoglobin. But just like hemoglobin, the myoglobin uses iron, like chemically how it binds the oxygen and is able to take it from one place to the other. It uses iron molecules. And the iron is what makes the muscle dark meat. Oh, snaps. (laughs) So I know that that was a long roundabout way, but like these are slow twitch muscles. 
they use their mitochondria for energy because they have the time to use oxygen. The way they get that oxygen is through the myoglobin. The myoglobin uses iron to bind the oxygen. The iron is what gives the muscle its reddish or dark brownish color. Dark. Which is hilarious. And it's also what makes it delicious. (laughs) Superiorly delicious. The fat's what makes it delicious, I assume, but I'm not sure why, like other than fat being a rapidly available energy store, uh, I'm not sure why it has a higher fat content, but I mean, if you just look at my body, I can tell you right now, the highest fat content I have is my thighs. So my thighs and legs are very high fat content. Maybe I'm a turkey. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's my, my Patronus. It usually is a bird. I'll throw that out there. I usually am a bird. So that's nice. I tend to end up with an otter or a cat. Mm. Obviously that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's actually pretty obvious. I would believe that definitely white meat is fast twitch muscles. Yes. They need to be able to do a lot of activity really fast, even if they need to do so much activity that they don't have readily available oxygen stores. Okay. And so, you know, theoretically they're for flying, even though turkeys and chickens don't do a ton of flying, it's just for an emergency, but they are equipped to do rapid amounts of glycolysis, which is how you generate energy super fast, but doesn't use your mitochondria. So it doesn't use a lot of oxygen. So it doesn't need the myoglobin and is therefore not stained with the iron. Okay. But, so, and that's why it's not red. Right. Okay. And compare that as an example, compare this to duck meat. And I don't know if you've ever gotten duck meat from any of your hunting friends, but duck meat is very dark all, all over. It's over. a very, yes. Yeah, dark it's meat. oily but, all over too. Yes, because of the high fat content. Exactly. Yes. But see, here's the difference. Ducks fly for a really long time. They, they migrate. They're not like chickens and turkeys. Yeah. So even their their what would be white meat in a chicken or a turkey has to be dark meat in a duck because it needs to be able to do long periods of exercise during migration. That makes sense. I get that. Quail's probably the same way, huh? Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the websites I didn't look at didn't mention quail, but yeah, that totally yeah. makes sense. Oh, that's it. And that's probably why I enjoy duck and quail so much. Yeah, so they're like dark meat. Exactly. So game birds are going to be dark meat, whereas domesticated farm birds have the white meat option because they don't actually, they're not equipped, they're not evolved to fly that much anymore. That is fascinating. Okay. That's super interesting. Okay. Super cool. And now I know, you know, why I'm so attracted to dark meat. Because, man, I'm a man. I'm a dark meat person. All right. So what else you got about turkey? Because actually, I love learning about food. Can we just like do a food podcast? Change podcast. The science of food. Science of food. Yes. I'll do food as long as it's science. Right. Yes. I did have another note about turkey. And it was what you mentioned before about like deep frying your turkey. Yes. Oh, my God. And for those of you who have never done it, I know this is like a deep south thing because we legit deep south, like deep fry butter. And no, Uh I'm not joking. We we deep fry butter. And it's delicious if you've never had it. But like, so we will fry anything you give us. You can actually kill yourself deep frying a turkey, but people still do it. So, you know. Exactly. And that's what I wanted to talk about. Oh, so my are we talking about the turkey note. explosions? Yes. yes. Are talking about turkey oh explosions. my God. Yes. Okay. So it's actually not that complicated of a process, but it's something you need to be aware of because you can legit set yourself and your house and everything you love on fire. Yes. <laughs> by improperly deep frying a turkey. So the moral of the story is make sure that your turkey is fully thawed and has no ice anywhere on it before you put the turkey into the hot oil. Because if you put a partially frozen uh, turkey into your hot oil, the ice will flash boil. 
and steam takes up more space than the ice. Um, I mean, they both take up more space than water, but like I gaseous form is going to take up the most area and the water-based gas and the oil do not mix. And so it's going to create these sudden bubbles in your oil and cause your oil to boil over really violently in It'll look like an explosion. It'll be, it's going to explode. Your face will be melted off. Effectively, it will explode. It will burn you, your deep frying setup, everything. So please, oh, and do not use water to put out a grease fire, please. I know you don't use water on a grease fire. You use dirt or, or sand, whatever sand, you nearby. anything. Yes, 100%. Yeah, there's inside, always someone, if you check the news, especially in the Louisiana area where we are, who's never fried a turkey before and puts that whole thing in there frozen, and you're just like, rest in peace. It's so bad. It's so right. bad. I've been drunk um, and thrown frozen french fries into hot oil, and I can ooh. extrapolate how bad that goes. I still have grease burns. Oof. Yeah, I, yeah, I was Ouch. drunk. I was drunk and wanted french fries, and I didn't want to have to pay for them. I wanted, like, french fries at home. I, I mean, to be fair. No, I that's, that's a valid one. McDonald's because I should not be allowed to ever cook on <laughs> So, yeah, that's why I raise McDonald's these days. Yes. Completely thaw your turkey. Don't use water on a grease fire. Smother a grease fire with a lid, a towel, anything. It's not water. Don't use water. The, the, the oil is what's on fire. Oil and water cannot mix please okay if y'all are curious i do have some links to videos where no one dies but like there i do have links to videos of people attempting to deep fry turkeys that are frozen i'll post those on the website it's actually pretty funny oh god yeah we'll post it on our newly existing facebook page and instagram Um, hey and instagram hey yeah we're like legit now um we are almost like a real podcast almost like a real podcast what all right and I did want to mention, use that as a um, a way to mention a similar phenomenon that I assume might be real. I've seen only anecdotes on Facebook about it. But um, so pure water has the ability to reach temperatures that should cause a phase change, but without a nucleation event of an impurity to form, say, ice crystals or gas around, you can actually get water super hot or super cold to temperatures where it should be frozen or boiling, but it actually not do those things yet because it it's so pure and homogenous that it doesn't know where to start boiling, basically. So I've seen it going around that similarly you can overheat broth, like get broth really hot. And then if the fat molecules get super hot and then you put like a spice into the broth, it will disrupt the broth and cause a nucleation event and cause it to like rapid boil, similar to the turkeys, and just boil over and be terrifying. Yeah, explode, basically. All right, so you're making me super nervous about cooking. So I've seen that going around. I've There's actually multiple like forums online where people mention that, but I haven't seen like anyone scientifically test like, hey, can you superheat broth? But there are definitely um, experiments like the Mythbusters who will say like, can you superheat, you know, just water as an example? And yes, for distilled water, which is pure water and doesn't have tap water impurities, if you heat it past the boiling point, it doesn't have anywhere to start boiling. Like, I know that maybe sounds weird, but um, it's the same thing if you super cool water. If you super cool pure water, it doesn't have anywhere to start forming an ice crystal. Like, it doesn't have a 
something to form around. No, I mean, that, no, so okay, so that actually cold. makes sense. And I'm sitting here thinking we actually have access to a science lab, AKA yours. Um, and I'm thinking we should blow up broth in your science lab. I feel like it'd be fun. What's the worst? It would be fun. Besides literally the worst that could happen. Pool and then having to go on the lamb. But besides that, like, I mean, what's the worst that could happen? The anxiety that plagues me every day is my cells getting contaminated. So I'm just going to say that. I mean, let's cover them with a towel first. They live in their incubator. They're fine. See, there you go. There you go. I'm not going to blow up your incubator. We'll explode, I'll leave them alone. we'll explode broth. But yeah. So to I will issue this as a cautionary tale. Like I said, I don't know about the broth. I've seen it online. People reporting that broth can get superheated and then suddenly explode whenever you add something to it. But I will say distilled water can definitely superheat and then when you add something that causes it that triggers a nucleation event will immediately start boiling and essentially look like an explosion because it was fine it was stable and then all of a sudden poof just you started ruined everything boiling. yeah so if you maybe want to make some apple cider and you heat up distilled water and then put you know powdered apple cider in it or something like that i mean that could be very dangerous so be aware if you're using distilled water something pure it can get hotter than tap water and you won't know it yeah this is why you shouldn't drink and cook and should be aware of what you're doing and why every kitchen should have a kitchen thermometer i don't understand that fire extinguisher Every yes, both. Oh my god, both. Please, for the love of God, have a fire extinguisher in your kitchen. I have a little teeny tiny one because I've definitely set my kitchen on fire. They come in miniature. As long as it can put out a great fire, you're good. Yep, they come in miniature. It's very cute. You can get like a cute one for your like it fits under your little cabinet. Yep, highly recommend because I have set my kitchen on fire before. <laughs> yep, yeah, I know. Nice. Choices, right? In your house or in your New Orleans house or your doyle? Doyleen, definitely in Doyleen. New Orleans house. I'm smarter than that. New Orleans house is made strictly of wood, <laughs> and uh, if you call services in new orleans they'll get to you like eight hours later you know your house will be rubble but so yeah i'm a little, yeah, more they're busy. Here. a little more careful here so yeah okay, okay. Interesting. the very last thing i wanted to talk about was some thick sides yeah and in my notes i spelled that with two c's for sure thick sides, sides. i wanted to throw in um a brief fun fact about the thickening of different kinds of sides flour so flour is true for one of them So when you're looking at gravy, obviously you need a starch. So flour works great for that. Cornstarch also works great for that. Oh, yeah, it does. And as I said, cornstarch actually might work a little bit better as a thickening agent because it's a pure starch and flour has proteins in it and the proteins don't help the gravy thicken. So basically you're adding volume that's not contributing to the thickening, Mm -hmm. whereas if you add starch it would can all contribute to the thickening that's why you don't need I as much exactly yeah exactly. i personally have had cornstarch difficulties for a long time like i've tried to make some jello pies in the past and the cornstarch just clumps and i don't know what i'm doing wrong but it just i can't get the cornstarch to form a homogenous mixture in my liquid it just forms these like clumpy rocks and doesn't mm-hmm. dissolve anyway I'm sure I always have to add it little by little. And I'm talking, li- if I'm using cornstarch, I add it in like minuscule amounts at a time while I whip. That's probably what I, I probably add it too fast. Yeah. You're right. So if you're making gravy, and I personally make white gravy mm-hmm. by combining turkey drippings, heavy cream, Tony Sachery's, uh, which is a Louisiana, Louisiana hey. seasoning. Mostly. <laughs> it's mostly cayenne pepper based. It's um, delicious. And flour. I use, I use flour myself. 
And it's my dad's gravy recipe. And uh, to him, the gravy is done whenever you can stand the spoon straight up in it. I am nodding in agreement. Um, I want to feel it sticking to the sides of me when I eat it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the the way that the gravy is thickened past, you know, heavy cream and turkey drippings is the the flour actually contains starch molecules um which are a polymer carbohydrate which means a sugar ba- uh, sugar based polymer so a long chain of molecules and the starch granules actually absorb a lot of liquid and they can swell up to like 10 times their size and it traps in all the deli- delicious flavor of the turkey drippings and it's what makes the mixture thick you can choose to use cornstarch or flour uh cornstarch uh, I did mention um, I've used when I'm trying to make gelatin pies because yes. it's clearer. So the flour makes things a little bit cloudier. So that's purely an aesthetic choice. <laughs> I mean, with uh, cream gravy, nobody cares. It's cream gravy. Yes. And I love it. I always thought I hated gravy, but like homemade white gravy, like sawmill yep. gravy. Mm. Whereas Tell like I'll throw gravy on everything. Like I don't care what I'm eating. If you're like, would you like a dipping sauce of gravy? I'm like, yes. I put gravy on macaroni and cheese. Like, don't play with me. Ooh, dang, that sounds awesome. The gravy yeah, like the turkey, the mashed potatoes, everything. Anyway, but it reminded me like the starch absorbing the liquid molecules, and it has to be hot liquid yes. molecules, by the way. Oh my God, it attacked her again. You guys missed it. There it my goes. The microphone attacked me. Again. Yeah, I know. It totally like fell straight forward. It's pretty funny. It like hit like a cord. I'm like, I don't think I even touched it. No, I know. It's it's definitely haunted. Like, dude, I would like lock that thing up at night and threaten it. I'd be like, look here. Look here. I have a ghost that doesn't want me talking about delicious, delicious. Apparently things. not. Your ghost is like very anti-happiness. It needs some serotonin. Invite it over for turkey. There you go. Yep. Anyway, what I was trying to say before my microphone attacked me was that um, it this actually reminded me of how hyaluronic acid works in your joints. And so I don't know if you've seen uh, makeup products that advertise that they have hyaluronic acid in them, which is supposed to like fill out your wrinkles in your face. And yes, you absolutely. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So hyaluronic acid is actually a component of the synovial fluid in your joints. And it actually is what makes the, the synovial fluid thick and almost gel based. And it's what cushions your joints. It's like what protects your joints from the impact and everyday movement against, you know, bone against bone, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So um, the way that it works is that it can bind a lot of water molecules. And it's also a very heavy carbohydrate polymer. So it just kind of reminded me of that. The method of the starch swelling to cause a thickening is different from, say, how cranberry sauce thickens. So if you've ever made your own cranberry sauce, like a real person and not someone who takes cranberry jelly out of a can. Hey, hey, stop cracking on my cranberry jelly. It's delicious. I'm looking at you. It's so good. I eat both. I'm not, I don't, I don't like discriminate against cranberry sauce. I make some baller cranberry compote. It's, it's delicious. Like, I love it desperately. Delicious. I also eat the jellied can that still has the ridges from the can attached to it. I'm not picky about my cranberries. My mom likes the jelly. I like it's both. Sad. No. I'll put both anyway. on my plate. Yes. Anyway, the, the cranberry sauce or any, um, basically any plant-based molecule that you are cooking thickens during cooking because of a release of a protein called pectin that is in the cell wall of plant fibers. I recognize that word. The pectin molecules, actually, they are released from the cell walls as they start to break down with the heat. And then they bind with each other and make this more rigid gelatinous structure as a as a result. 
So the longer you cook the cranberry sauce, the more that the cell walls of the cranberry plant will break down and the more that the pectin will form into a, a jelly, basically. And it um, helps to thicken things. And yet another way that you get the thickening is more with a, quote, setting uh, if you use eggs in a recipe. So if you think like pumpkin pie or something else that's Cheese, kind of yeah, custardy. Yeah, cheesecake. Yeah, like cheesecake. Exactly. So those are utilizing egg proteins instead of the plant cell wall proteins. The egg proteins will denature during the cooking and then reform into a lattice. But the important thing is like with things like custards and pumpkin pie, if you cook it too fast, then you'll get this like scrambled egg effect. Oh my God, it's it's so bad. Oh, it's so bad. This one website I saw called it scrambled eggs floating in pumpkin milk. And I was like... I was like, disgusting. oh, God, that's almost worse than the worms. Blech. Oh, yeah. I can't. No, this is the point where I'm going to make that sound instead of making that sound. Okay, so that's super interesting. Look at all this, like, extra science. I'm going to walk around and drive people crazy at Thanksgiving next year, being like, observe my scientific yeah. knowledge about what you're cooking. They're like, get out if you're not going to help. I'm like, I'm not helping, so I'm leaving. So, you know. Yeah. I, bring, I bring the bread. That's my job. Yeah, I bring the works. rolls. Yep. You bring regular like thaw and bake rolls or like Hawaiian rolls or like brown and serve rolls? Or, like, Excuse me, I bring frozen rolls. They, I, look, I go to the grocery store and grab the rolls. I'm actually capable of cooking. I just don't see the reason in doing so when I have all these people surrounding me who are better at cooking. So That's fair. You know, it's like I don't do the science. I just come here and listen to you talk about the science. And then I, I, I wanted to recommend the, as the very last thing, like that was kind of the wrap up of what I was going to talk about. I did want to recommend a New York Times article that's called A Helping of Science with Your Thanksgiving Dinner, because it has a few extra fun facts, fun stuff about like how beets get their red coloring from beta lanes, which are made from an abundance of the amino acid tyrosine, and also about how Brussels sprouts Uh, This one was really fun in relation to the fact that we're following all of our parasite episodes. So Brussels sprouts can actually tell when a specific type of butterfly lays eggs on it. And presumably these eggs would hatch into very hungry caterpillars that would eat the the Brussels sprouts. So the Brussels sprouts will release a chemical signal that summons basically parasitic wasps that lay their eggs. And then when they hatch, they will eat the caterpillars of the butterfly that is going to eat the the Brussels sprouts. So the Brussels sprouts basically summon wasp protectors uh, using chemicals. So, See, and this definitely supports my husband's theory that Brussels sprouts are evil. You know, I'm with him there. I have tried to cook Brussels sprouts. I can't make them not bitter. They're so bitter. Look, I flash fry mine, like flash fry the fool out of mine in bacon grease and then cover them in maple syrup. There's nothing redeeming about my Brussels sprouts when I'm done with them, but they are good. I take them to work. (laughs) I'm like, I am eating my vegetables. Excuse you. So yeah, so yeah, think, please post that on our website. Syrup will drown anything. Oh, it will. If you put enough maple syrup on something, it'll drown it. Arcane syrup, like you—that's all you can taste. And then you have like a vegetable vehicle, and you're like, "Look, see, I'm eating vegetables." Yeah. So definitely post that on the site because I'm interested in reading them myself. And then yeah. you know me, you know I'm going to ask you for a mental health minute. I think it's just to try and take care of yourself this holiday season. I mean, it's going to be different. Maybe you're not socializing with all the people you wanted to, but just take care of yourself. Put that put that first and and remember that whoever you were going to go see they love you anyway like they want to hang out with you they care and the fact that you can't be there doesn't make them love you any less that's That's a good that's a good mental health minute i actually really like that one especially i mean with covid right you know it's like i feel like a lot of people are end up being very isolated for holidays this year and to remember to 
if you do get to that dark place where you're feeling ultra isolated or very alone to reach out for help. And we'll post uh, links to like the suicide hotline or on our Facebook page and our Instagram page. Yeah. Especially, you know, cause I mean, I, I definitely see an uptick in that in the work that I do during this time period. And something else I think is very important. And I'll be bringing this up around Christmas as well. When we're talking about holidays is um, I think it's very important for everyone who has difficulties with their family to understand that just because someone is related to you by blood does not mean that they have the right to abuse you or to overstep your boundaries. And if you do have issues with certain family members, you are not obligated to make yourself beholden to that person. You do not have to attend family events and people who attempt to guilt you into attending a family events where you're going to be uncomfortable or feel bad about yourself afterwards don't really have your best interests at heart. And kind of keeping that in mind that just because it's a holiday and just because this is family, you are not obligated to spend time with people who are toxic and that are going to make you feel bad. You are worth more than that. And to remember that, that you are worth more than that. So yeah, that's kind of my mental health minute as well. Super important to remember. And that's, that's really great. So we love you guys. Um, I would like to encourage everybody, if you have questions, to email us at southernsciencechicks at gmail.com and to visit our new Facebook pages and Instagram pages. Yes, Southern Science. They're actually under Southern Science Chicks for both. Uh, If you go to facebook.com slash southern science, you will end up at a North Carolina barbecue restaurant. Don't do that. I bet it's delicious, but uh, we should actually go there and just be like, we're the Southern Science Chicks. Can we like get a barbecue? Just to like Like, take a a picture of it. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. That'd be so cool. We are Southern Science Chicks on both Facebook and Instagram. So please, Feel free to hit us up on either. Yes. So also to email us. Check us out. We'll have all sorts of extra information. I'll post those mental health hotlines. Eric is going to post some articles about what we talked about today. And we'd love to hear from y'all. And please, as always, if you have topics for uh, us to discuss, let us know. We'll definitely work it into the rotation. Because um, left my own devices, I'm going to have Erica talking about food and wine for a very long time. <laughs> it's just the truth. All right. So we will see y'all later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Do you ever have the friend?